For those of you who do not know me, my name is Walter Muti. I live in uh, Berlin, just a couple towns over. And I have been serving the Lord for about 35 years now. Uh, my ministry was originally in Venezuela, South America. And the Lord closed that door and allowed us to return to the United States. And so we returned to the United States after being kicked out of Venezuela uh, for being spies on the, for the imperialist north. And I found myself being back here in the USA saying, Okay, Lord, why am I here? And the Lord said, continue serving me until I move you again. And so that's what I'm doing. And so this morning I was, um, I was uh, invited by Gary to, to give the message. And the message that the Lord put on my heart is called unoffendable. That we should be people who are unoffended. It's, it's, uh, next week I will talk a little bit more about my ministry, but this week... I have to leave right away after the message to head down to the Bolton Pond and perform a couple baptisms. Uh, a good friend of mine, Mike, here, he's here, and he uh, asked if I would baptize him. So he'll be one of the gentlemen I'll be baptizing a little later on today, praise God. Uh, God is doing miracles continually, isn't he, Mike? So, yeah, um, thanks for coming out. Father, as we... Um, Open up your word. Speak to us, we pray. Help us to be teachable. Open our minds and our eyes and our hearts to your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. So I've been going through a book called Unoffendable by Brent Hansen. If you have not read it, it's one of those must-read books. It really helps you to get grounded back to living a Christian life. If you have professed Jesus Christ as your Lord then you are a Christian. If you are a Christian and you profess Jesus Christ as Lord, then you are called to live a life completely different than what this world calls us to live and what this world expects of us. And this world is not going to accept the life that you're living as a Christian. They're going to automatically dislike us because of our Christian views. The premise of this book, Unoffendable, as Christians, we're not entitled to be angry or to be offended. And I know this is going to probably cross some of your uh, thoughts in your hearts and minds because it did mine when I first read the first chapter of this book. And he said that we have no right to live in anger. We have no right to be offended and that we shouldn't be offended by what the world is, is um, pushing on us. There's no place in the life of a Christian for unforgiveness and for anger. There's no place in the life of a Christian for unforgiveness and anger. And we're going to talk about that. God is willing to forgive us. We should be willing to forgive others. And thirdly, if you can grasp this idea then it will change your life. It will radically change your life. And there are going to be people who are either listening online or are sitting here in the room that has, have held on to anger. They've held on to bitterness. They've held on to hurts way past the time that they should. The premise of the book, Unoffendable, is Christians are not entitled 
to be offended or to stay angry. He also says, if it turns out, giving up your right to be offended can be one of the most freeing, this is a quote from him, healthy, refreshing, stress-relieving, encouraging things that a person can do. If we can give up our right to be offended. And applying this one change, like I said earlier, is going to change your entire life. The reason why I want to talk about this, uh, being offended and getting angry, is because it's plaguing our society today. It's a plague of our society today, getting angry and offended. But more importantly, what bothers me about this is that it's stunting the growth of many Christians. Being offended, being angry will stunt your growth. You will not grow closer to the Lord as you hold on to bitterness, as you hold on to anger. Your anger, bitterness, there's an old saying, um, is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It just won't happen that way. When you drink poison, you die. When we stay bitter and anger, angry, we're the ones that are going to suffer terribly. And this is why the Lord says all through his word, let it go. Let it go. Change your ways. It's a plague, like I said, to our society. It seems that everyone is offended these days. Many are walking around and their fists are clenched and they're angry and, and, and they're ready to blow a gasket. I've stood in line at Lowe's and the guy in back of me, uh, this happened one day, the guy in back of me was just angry and he's swearing and he's saying how dumb that the cashier person is and, and how they hire the handicapped there. And, and he was just angry and he's saying it loud enough that everybody can hear him. And I turned around to him. I said, sir, go ahead of me. And he says, oh, no, it's all right. I'm already late. And I said, no, go ahead of me. I'm not in a hurry. My time is, is free. And so he thanked me, oh, thank you. And he, he went ahead of me, and he's throwing his stuff on the counter, and this little older woman is bringing up her stuff, his stuff. He leaves, and she looks up at me very shyly, and she says, thank you for what you did. I said, I don't know how you can stand it. I can't tell you the whole story today. I don't have time. But she was working at Lowe's because her husband was dying on the couch at home with cancer and she needed the money and I will tell you the story later it's an incredible story how I learned all about that but you do not know how your anger and bitterness is going to affect someone else or even hurt someone else road rage is on the increase folks on airplanes are going crazy and getting arrested neighbors and co-workers are are yelling at each other and you know the Bible says in the last days in Matthew twenty four twelve. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will become cold. So we're living in the last days. The love of many has drawn cold. Anger is in the air. Folks are scared and afraid of everything. There are millions of computer bloggers and talking heads on TV, and they just want to push their agenda. You need to be angry at this. You need to be offended by this. And they, you just take it in all day. And people listen. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable what, what the average American watches on TV. It's like hours a day. I, I just don't understand that. 
taking in hours a day of hate and division and anger and bitterness about things that you can do nothing about. That's what's crazy. You can't do anything about these things. But they want to tell you about this, these terrible sharks, you know, off the coast of this beach, you know. They want to tell you about a fire that happened in Chicago or Maui. And, and they want to make sure they tell you all the details of this and you're just taken in. There's nothing, no good news. It's all bar, garbage news or news that you can't do anything about. I've been accused of hiding my head in the sand because I shut the TV off many years ago. But I'm telling you, what you take in is what's going to come out. As you take in, I used to say this to the Indians that we we lived with in the Amazon jungle. As you eat from God's word, you're going to grow fat. As you eat from God's word, you're going to grow fat in his word. And what goes in, what comes out. As you take in all the bad news of our world, that's what's going to come out in every conversation. You can't have a conversation with people nowadays without them starting telling you about how bad this government official is or how bad that government official is. It's in the air. I teach at a local prison in Concord, Massachusetts, and I went in one day, and the, uh, one of the corrections officers, COs, uh, he, um, he was angry. And I'm like, dude, you doing okay? He says, oh, check this out, Walter, look. And he turns his computer screen around. He says, and he's angry at the government. He says, you see this? This is the Apollo 11 landing in 1969. He said, the government lied to us. They didn't really do that. And I'm like, dude, you got to move on with life. He wasn't even born in 1969. <laughs> and he's angry about the Apollo 11 Really? You have nothing else to do in life. People are angry at the government. They're mad about pancake syrup bottles. They're mad about beer cans. The ocean level's rising. The ocean level's going down. Is there anything you can do about the ocean levels? Nothing. We can pray. But other than that, there's nothing we can do. So why are you taking this on? Many believe if I get angry and I complain enough, somehow I'm righteous, for one. And two, somehow I'm helping the world by spouting off to you what Obama did last week or Trump did last week or, or, you know, and and I got to tell you the latest thing that happened. And you can't go on from that. But you know what? Studies show that those who complain the most are the least likely to do anything about it. Least likely to give. Least likely to go and help. They just want to be armchair critics. And somehow they're helping the world in this. Today, anger and being offended is the most prominent sin facing our society. And in the church also, I wish I, I didn't have to say that, But it shouldn't be a surprise to us because rooted in anger is pride. Pride says, I did not get what I wanted. I'm not first in line. The, the, I was at that pump first or I was going for that pump first. Or, you know, I, I asked the Lord last week, I said, Lord, just show me how often I get offended as I drive 
to the next town over. I was offended three times by the time I left my house to when I got to BJ's at the gasoline pump. Three times I was offended. The Lord showed me, you know, because this person was too slow at the intersection and he wouldn't leave the intersection and he had plenty of time to pull out or, or this person is going too fast or this person is going too slow or this person took a place in line. It's just in us. Me, me, me. I, I, I all the time. Look at me. Look at I. I'm first. It's pride. I talked with a neighbor recently, and he was mentioning to me about these terrible people. And some of the people that he was talking about were church-going people that he used to go to church. But now he's angry. Why? Because these guys are complete jerks. Everybody's a jerk. Except him. He's the only smart one. His boss is a jerk. The guy at the gymnasium's a jerk. The guy at the hardware store, he's an idiot. You know what? His own kids hate him. He has lost almost every friendship he's had, him and his wife. And it's everybody else's fault. He then asked me one day, I haven't seen much of you lately, Walter, where you been? And I said, well, you know, I really don't like being around you. And I told him the truth. He said, why? I said, because you're an angry man. And in Proverbs, it says not to associate with an angry man. He flipped out on me. He got angry at me. He told me to get off his property and never to step foot on it again. If you're this way, and you're getting into fights and disagreements and confrontations every single day on a daily basis, perhaps you are the common denominator. Perhaps you're the one that's the idiot or the jerk. And as a Christian, it does not show a loving spirit. As a Christian, we are called to overlook and to expect the world to act like the world acts. Of course, people are going to cut in line. Of course, people are going to want to be first. In Galatians 5, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Nowhere in the gifts of the Spirit do we see anger as one of them. And you will say, well, what about righteous anger, Walter? We're not given permission to have righteous anger. Do you know why? Because we are not righteous. We're not able. We're righteous in Jesus Christ. So he is allowed to have righteous anger. God is allowed to have righteous anger. But you and I are not because we can't judge properly. We right now, as it says in 2 Corinthians, I think it is, that we look through a glass darkly. We can't see the picture beautifully. The Bible says in Romans 8, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, Christ could have been offended that day and say, you know what? I don't like these people. These people are all bad people. But while we were yet sinners, he goes on to say, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For 
if while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, and much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We have been reconciled to God. We were enemies of God. Enemies. He's holy and righteous, and everything about God is holy. And here we are, sinners. We don't deserve anything except hell fire. That's what we deserve. But the Father sent his only son into the world and said, go. And Jesus obeyed. And Jesus that day on the cross took on the sins of the world. As he hung on the cross and he had the the crown of thorns, which is a picture of the curse. We see that in Genesis chapter 3, that the curse came upon the ground and what? Rose up thorns. And so the Roman soldiers thought they were going to be funny. And they made this crown of thorns and they put them on Jesus' head. And as he hung on the cross with his last breaths, he said, forgive them, Lord. They know not what they do. And he wore the curse in front of everyone. The world tried to mock God, but God turned it on the world. Colossians 3.8 says, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger is the first thing on the list. Colossians 3.8. The first thing to, to rid yourself of is anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. We have to take those from our lips. And if you can't do it, then ask God to do it for you. But we know you can because you can talk like a street fighter when you're out there in the park. But the second you walk in this door, all of a sudden you clean up your language. People do it in front of me all the time. They'll be talking like a, like a, a drunken sailor as I meet them on the street, and then they say, hey, so what do you do for a living? I say, well, I'm a preacher. Oh, oh, uh, and all of a sudden their language clears up. We can do this. We can rid ourselves of anger, rage, malice, and slander and filthy language. We just choose not to. Matthew chapter 5, 21 to 22 says, you have heard the ancients You have heard the ancients um, were told, you shall not murder, and whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court. But I say, this is the Lord Jesus saying, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be answerable to the Supreme Court. See how we just went from the court to the Supreme Court. And whoever says... You fool, how many times have we said that to our neighbor or that person in traffic? You fool shall be, listen, this is serious stuff. It says, shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. Jesus talked about heaven quite a bit. We know that. Why? Because he came from heaven. And he was telling the world about heaven. But you know what? He talked three times more about hell than he did heaven. Why? Because it's a real place. Now, God didn't create hell 
for mankind. Some, uh, some people think that God created hell for us, but he didn't. Hell was originally created for the devil and his angels, those who were left their first place in heaven. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness held for judgment. I remember my sister sharing that with me. I was 18 years old, and my my sister shared with me that there was this place called hell, and it's pits of darkness, and this is where people who have fought against God, who who do not desire God's gracious gift of Jesus, are going to end up. And I said to her, Paula, that's really good for you. I'm glad you found your religion, but it's not for me. But I remember those words in my mind. And I'm driving out Route 62 and, and, and 495 where the two cross. And there used to be an area you could pull over there. And I pulled my car over and I said, all right. If, if what these people say about you, God, is true, that there is a heaven and there is a hell, and that you're a good God and you're an intelligent God, you're all-knowing God, and you love the world, you love me, even though I'm a jerk, if this is true, I want to know who you are. But I'm going to be straight with you, God, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you like it is. I'm not going to hold any punches. Because if you're God, you already know my heart. You already know what I'm about to say. And I said, God, I don't want to give up the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. This was the late 60s, early 70s. And the second thing, God, I don't want to do, I'm going to tell you right from the beginning, I don't want to be one of those Jesus people that go around telling people about God. Within two weeks, my whole life flipped. I was honest with God in prayer. I talked to him. I challenged him. And said, God, if you are real, then I'm going to be straight with you. You need to show me your life. I didn't ask for a miracle of healing. I didn't ask for a miracle to heal or to raise someone or to do anything else. I simply asked the question, if you, God, are real, then I want to know who you are. And if there's anyone here today or listening on TV that has never asked God if he was there listening, I challenge you to do that. My whole life changed. Scales fell from my eyes, is how I explained it. And I could see differently. And all my druggy friends and uh, people I used to hang with, they're all like saying, Walter, you, you have gone way overboard with this religious thing. And I'm like, you've got to understand that this is the way, the truth in life. I thought I had life, but now I have real life. I thought I knew the truth, but it was a lie. Now I know the truth. So why should we be so quick to forgive others? It's because God forgave us. And he calls us to do the same. The passage of scripture that I, wanna, I would like to read comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. This is a, a, a parallel, uh, a, a story that Jesus used to teach his disciples because they're asking him, what is heaven like? Who is the father like? And he says, 
Um, Matthew 18. I have the right passage here. Yeah. 21. And Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall I, a brother, sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Don't we ask the same question? Lord, this guy hurt me. Lord, this guy took advantage of my family. And you know what? If he hurt me, I I could have brushed it off. But this person hurt my wife. This person hurt my child. And you clench your fist and you say, I hate this person. And you hold it on in your life. So Peter's asking this question. How often should I forgive someone? And the Lord says, I do not say to you, verse 22, up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to the king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. All right? So that's the premise. The kingdom of heaven is like this. So listen up, because he's about to tell us what heaven is like, or what the salvation message looks like, or what the gospel message looks like. And he says... Verse 23, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to the king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. His slaves are us. And when he had begun to settle them, one of it that owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. So this person who came before this, this king owed everything. He owed millions and millions of dollars. Lifetimes couldn't have paid for how much he owed this king. But since he did not have the means to repay, verse 25, his Lord commanded that he be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had until repayment is made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him his debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, which is a cup of coffee. And he seized him and he began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe me. So the fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling to and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he saw, uh, what he owed So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported it all to the Lord. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you of all your debt and you pleaded with me. Should you not have have mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he could repay all that was owed. And Jesus goes on to say, my heavenly father will also do the same to you. If each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. We are called in scriptures to be men and women of mercy. To forgive those who have struck out against us no matter how much it hurt. Why? Because God has forgiven you far more than, than what that person has done to you. You owe God a lifetime, an eternity of gratitude and thanks for his mercy on you. And he's asking us to just give a little tiny bit, one denarii, one cup of coffee of mercy to those around you. 
when you have been forgiven millions of sins in your life. But I also want you to just see something that I, in this verse also, that that slave, he not only was suffering for his debt due to the king, but his wife and children were also affected by his sin, by his debt. Your wife and children will suffer from your sin. A lot of people think that my sin is private. What I do privately in my car going down the highway, or what I uh, do privately in my room, it doesn't affect anybody. But that's not what the scriptures teach. Scriptures teach that our sin affects those around us. This servant had a debt that he could not pay. We have a debt that we cannot pay. Jesus Christ came to pay our debt. He took on that day, on his shoulders, our sin and iniquity. And as he hung on the cross, he was able to say, forgive them. And a beautiful picture there that's, that, that the Lord shows us is there's two other people crucified with him that day. You have the thief and you have thieves on both sides of him. And they're railing against Jesus. Hey, if you are God, then get yourself down off the cross. Oh, and, and, and save us too. And that's our prayer many a time. If you are God, do this for me. If you are God, little Jesus, then, then perform for me. Do this miracle for me, and then I will believe you. If you are God, then do this, 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 this thing that I'm requiring of you. But that's not God. The thief on the cross simply looked over and said, remember me. That's it. That's all he said. Remember me. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Some of you are living tortured lives. You're harboring unforgiveness and bitterness. And you do not have the peace that Jesus said that he came to bring. He said, I've come to give life and life abundant. Do you have the abundant life? If you don't, you need to ask that question. Do I have the abundant life? If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would beg before you put your head on a pillow tonight that you say, Lord, I want to know who you are. That's all you have to say. There's nothing you have to do. That thief on the cross, he was nailed to a tree. He couldn't go to church. He couldn't, do, he couldn't walk. He couldn't give. He couldn't do anything. He was nailed to a tree. He simply said, remember me. That's how simple the gospel message is. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. There's only two places that we can go once we're dead, and we're all going to die. Heaven or hell. And the choice is in our court. Father, as we go out here from here today, it is our prayer that we will be the Christian witnesses you've called us to be, that we will be kind to those who are hurting, are carrying so much hurt in their lives, that we would be the lights of the gospel, that people will look at us and they will ask us about the hope that lies within us. Father, we pray that we would be the witnesses that you've called us to be and that we would learn to forgive those 
who have sinned against us, as we said in your prayer, forgive us, Lord, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.